Well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for coming this afternoon. It's a big busy weekend for so many of us um, with Boston Marathon. I want to start off by thanking the PRX Podcast Garage uh, for making this all possible and hosting us today. I want to give a special shout out to Maggie Matta, who is the new community manager here. Um, and this is the first event that's happened in this space pretty much since COVID. So it's a very exciting time for us audio people in the Boston area, because this is a big hub for the audio community here. Um, I also want to thank Chris Kalfarski for doing our sound today. He's our sound engineer. And I want to also thank Gina James, who is the VP of Strategic Impact at PRX. She was another person who facilitated this event. And also Carrie Hoffman, who is the CEO of PRX. And she also had a hand in having us here today. So thanks for all of that. I want to remind everybody this is a live recording and this will be on our podcasts. So I'm going to just start off by talking about why we're doing this event. Like, what was the impetus of us doing this? And it was because this is the 50th anniversary of women being able to run the Boston Marathon. And it wasn't just Boston that opened up to women. It was the entire US. Before 1972, the marathon was not an event that women could sign up for. So it wasn't just especially Boston that did this. It was everybody. Um, we have invited these two amazing runners um, because they really bookend exceptional performances by women in the marathon over this span of time. So we have Marilyn, who is a pioneer, not just as a female marathon runner, but also as an American-born black female marathon runner. Um, and we're going to learn a little bit more about her in a minute. Um, and then we have Megan Kripchen, and she is a current pro, and she is running on Monday. Um, she has a long history in the sport and has been a competitor in many different uh, distances and is an exceptional marathoner these days. Um, we are also going to talk about the Boston Marathon because it is one of the greatest running events in the world in one of the greatest running cities in the world. Um, so we will focus on that. Um, and what else? Uh, yeah, I, I think that about covers it for the broad strokes of this. And I will introduce myself. I am Sri Louise Turner, and I am the host and producer of Strides Forward, is a podcast about running, and we tell stories about women. And I'm going to pass it off to my co-hosts here to tell you a little bit more. Hi, Hello. everyone. Um, my name's Julie Sapper, and this is my partner, Lisa Levin, and we are the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster and of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We want to thank Sheree for inviting us to co-host this amazing event. And thank you to all of you for coming. We know it's a little bit out of the way from the mainstream Boston Marathon area, and we so appreciate you traveling out here to be a part of this recording. So a little bit about Lisa and me. We started Run Farther and Faster um, 12 years ago. It's crazy. And um, we both are avid runners and Boston marathoners. This will be Lisa's 19th Boston Marathon and my 12th. And uh, we coach runners all over the country. We're based in the D.C. area. And we also co-host the Run Farther and Faster podcast, which focuses uh, specifically on the Boston Marathon. And we're really thrilled to be a part of this. Um, so I want to go ahead and introduce our first guest, who is Marilyn Bevins. But before I do, I just want to take a moment to thank Tony Reed, who's sitting in the back. Tony is the founder and executive director of the National Black Marathoners Association. And he helped connect us to the amazing Marilyn Bevins. And Tony is also the producer and director of the soon-to-be-released film documentary, 
breaking three hours, trailblazing African-American women marathoners. So Marilyn is a native of Baltimore and a pioneer in U.S. women's marathoning. She started running in the late 1960s before Title IX, and in 1973, she ran her first marathon, coming in second in running in 331. Marilyn went on to win the Maryland Marathon twice and as a result became the first American-born black woman to win a marathon. She's run the Boston Marathon six times, placed second in the Boston Marathon in 1977 where she ran 251.12 and she ran her personal best on the course in 1979 in 249.56 and as a result she was also the first American-born black woman to break three hours. So we'd be remiss though if we did not mention that there are only 24 total American-born black women who have broken the three-hour marathon barrier. In addition to being an amazing runner, Marilyn has an over 40-year coaching career. She's a teacher and a high school tra track coach. And in 2013, Marilyn was inducted into the National Black Marathoners Association's Distance Runner Hall of Fame as part of their first class of inductees and is one of the nine inductees in the soon-to-be-released film that we just mentioned. So welcome, Marilyn. Thank you. <laughs> And we also get to welcome Megan Christian today. Megan is um, in her premier or debut, debut Boston Marathon this year, and she's a professional distance runner and with the um, Atlanta Track Club's elite team, and also an occupational therapist. She also has a full-time job. Most recently, Megan placed sixth at the 2021 Chicago Marathon in a time of 2.30.17, and top 10 at both the 10-kilometer and 20-kilometer 2021 National Championships. She's a three-time Olympic trials qualifier uh, in 2012, in 2016, where she finished seventh, and again in 2020. She was a high school All-American in the 800 meter distance and ran for Syracuse University. And she was also the top finishing American at the 2012 IAAF World Half Marathon Championships. And again, this will be her first yeah. Boston <laughs> Marathon. So well we have um, bookends on both ends of the 50 years <laughs> of women running Boston Marathon. And I'll just get briefly give an overview of kind of how this is going to work is we're going to have a conversation with these incredible athletes and we're going to cover the topics of their racing history. We're going to talk a little bit about the Boston Marathon and then reflect a bit on women running Boston or women running marathons for the last 50 years. And we're going to have some question time at the end, about 10 minutes or so. So if you have questions, you'll have an opportunity to ask them. So... Julie, I think you're going to kick things off for us. Sure. So my first question is for Marilyn. Marilyn, how, why, and when did you get into marathoning? I always liked to run, even when I was in, at that time it wasn't middle school, it was junior high. I always wanted to run. I was trying to find a track team. I really couldn't find any. It was so interesting. I, you know how all people are. They think they're sprinters. And I went to this track meet, and they had these five chubby girls in front of me. My father said, you can beat them, and I was but dead last. <laughs> <laughs> then I went to run an 800, another track meet, it was three in the race, and they wanted to give me my third place medal, but I said, no, and he got third place, but you're third. I was dead last, so I wouldn't take the medal. <laughs> I realized I didn't have a lot of speed, but I just loved to run. It was, it was not losing weight. I just enjoyed running. So I went to Morgan State University, 
and the coach there, Dr. Her coach Hurt, let me use one of the boys' track tops and I would go run. There was no team for girls as far as track and field. I did play field hockey, I loved field hockey because I got to run and I got to, you know, try to block people. So that was kind of fun. I started really distance running. First, it started here in Massachusetts. I went to graduate school up here. And at that time, they did have distance running. And even though I could not run at the college, Coach Cox at Springfield College, where I went, let me run with the boys. So I would just go run. And then there was a hot bit of road races even then in the Massachusetts area. So that's when I really started running a couple of races and even running more regularly. And when I started teaching, then I got involved with the Baltimore Roadrunners. And they said, Merlin, we're going to have, you know, they had the first Merlin Marathon. He says, you come run with us. We're going to do a nice, easy 20 miles. <laughs> and I thought, we're going to do a night. Nice, didn't dawn on me. We're going to do a nice, easy. And I started running with the Baltimore Roadrunners. So this little black me and all these white guys, we are running. We're talking about still early 70s. But I enjoyed it. And unlike now, we didn't have things running on our backs with bottles of water. <laughs> we either went to the fire station or the police station and drank out of the fountain, or when we got out to Lock Raven Dam, there was a spring, and we would go down and get natural spring water, which now you had to pay for because they blocked it off. <laughs> so that was my start. So Marilyn, you mentioned how you got into marathoning. So what was it like in terms of the support during that time, not just within your running group, but at the races? I don't know how to answer that too much. As far as in my area, I've, God bless me with some guys to run with. I always had a couple of fellas to run with. And at that point, we didn't have GPS watches, anything like that. So if you didn't measure it in the car after us or before, it was normally too short. So I'm the one, okay, if I go to this lamppost, that next lamppost, that's one more tenth of a mile to go back or equal 20. And I had a couple of guys who just run with me. And we would run, and I've always felt safe because I always run with some guys. I'm prejudiced. I don't want to run with any females. Guys are more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Girls, ladies want to cry about which way to go and this, that, and the other. We, I just want to run. So I just had some guys to run with. Again, the Balmer Road Runner started me out. And then I had some guys that I ran with. I started a club team just for track for kids. And so I was blessed that way. I just always had some people to run with me. And then they started having the road races in Baltimore. We started the Maryland Marathon, which is probably one of the hardest courses in the country. That's why now we have a Baltimore Marathon, still one of the hardest courses in the country, because Baltimore is a hilly place. It is. Marilyn, you mentioned um, you, know, you had a lot of men to run with. Were there a lot of women running at that time? Not many. Not many. I was like the only uh, black female. There was a couple of women. And, you know, some, you know, I, I basically, it was not too bad though, because I had enough people, enough support that I felt comfortable out there running. Every once in a while, somebody, when I ran internationally or somewhere, somebody would holler the N word. But that was very rare. Of course, at times, if I was in a race and someone else was in the race, they probably did not want me to win. Oh, they would always say, this is the one to watch. And I've beaten that person, and I've had these times, but I'm not the one to watch. And that didn't worry me, because I just enjoyed what I was doing. And I was enough fairness and people supported. It didn't bother me too much. So Marilyn, tell us a little bit about, um, you mentioned how you went on some 20-mile runs, then you ended up at the Baltimore Marathon. What was that like for you, being on the course and being the only black American woman on the course during that time? 
because I had some support from uh, the guys mm-hmm. I ran with and even the Baltimore Roadrunners, I was okay. Mm-hmm. I was more focused on maintaining my pace, mm-hmm. hydrating, and running smart. Mm-hmm. No one I should drink, no one I picked up the pace. I knew about the uh, Maryland Marathon is very, was very difficult. We had uh, these really long, we had one hill, it was six levels. So when you turned around and came back, it's six levels up. So I was more worried about my racing, not so much about who said what. I had one gentleman came by one time and he took his hand and smacked his butt and said that call I was going to see at him that day. I w- I'm always, God has blessed me to be a slow reactor. So no, I did not lay him out. I did not say a word to him. I'm a slow reactor. You smack me today, I'm mad at you tomorrow. And I think that's been one of my graces, blessings from the Lord. I messed up a couple times the last few years, though, and I, I'm sorry about that one. <laughs> but the bottom line, I, did, I just said, Bevins, what you're going to do, you're just going to maintain your pace and run your race. So I can't remember what I beat him or he beat me. I placed well in the race. So I don't think he got an award, but I did. So, I mean, I'm not worrying about... You have to let some things go, but I was running for a gentleman who laid him out. He really did. But I, I said, don't, I can't worry about that. How right. can you run? Yeah and worry about silliness. My mind was on what I had in my hand, what take paces I need to run, and that was on my mind. And that helped, probably helped me to run well because I didn't worry about all the distractions. It's great advice. Marilyn, how did you go from a 331 to sub three hour marathon <laughs> in, in the span of a few years? What do you think you did differently? Thing. How did you progress in your running? Just kept doing the mileage. You know, after a while it has to build up. It doesn't come for me a very talented person, but it has to build up and getting that mileage in and, and getting the races in. And at the end, when I ran my best time of just a 249.56, but what I had done that year, late in my running career, I started running a lot of 5Ks. So that was my short uh-huh. leg speed that really, really helped. You just can't, years ago, with the runner world and a lot of magazine, everything is miles. You gotta do 100 miles, we gotta do this, you gotta do that. And for a lot of people, that's probably too much. And then it just wears them out and injures them. So you, I always would take breaks. After the marathon, I would run two miles a day for a week. I would always have some breaks. I wouldn't just bang, 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 bang. And when you don't feel good, you don't run. When you're hurt, you don't run. I had one running buddy, he would hobble along. You can't get better if you, you're hurt because if something's pulled, it's like this. But the more you run or push yourself, now you've done that. So now you're out longer. So normally, when you feel something that's not right, stop. Give it a couple of days, then go back and decide. You need patience just to be macho and go through it. Makes you a dead man. That is timeless advice, for sure. And I have one question about, like, pushing yourself at that time in women's marathoning. Like, there weren't a lot of women running the marathon, as you mentioned. You know, it was very new at that point in time. Like, how are you gauging, like, how fast you might be able to go? Because kind of all the women at that time were breaking barriers in the marathon. And it wasn't something like we know so many women these days who are running these super fast times. Mm-hmm. So we know what's possible. But you were kind of running at a time when people didn't really know what was possible. I'm just curious how you were approaching your own speed and what you were aiming for. Well, I was trying to break three hours and then okay. go lower if I can. Yeah. And I would just work at my own pace. Like I said, okay. I have a little thing. I'm working at my pace, not worried about anybody else. And because I was one of the first few women, I didn't have to worry about, well, you got to beat Susie Q or Jane or, you know, Susie. That wasn't on my mind. I was trying to do the best I could do. And probably I wanted to beat some men. I wanted to beat a certain okay. guys, you know. Yep. And yep. that when I had some people that would pace me and help me out, you know, just run for me a little bit. That helped. So that I didn't let that bother me. It wasn't that many women. So 
everybody got along in a way because it, there wasn't that many women. So why are you hating people and making enemies? There's this one show on TV, it was the Motorcycle Gang. And then never forget the guy said, he says, why have, uh, no, it was, well, this young was in another movie, but it was very good. He says, why have enemies when you can have friends? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm just also thinking about the fact of just like pushing barriers and what that mentality is to be tr pushing barriers that of speed that, you know, a lot of women hadn't been doing at the time. Like, it seems like it could have been an exciting time as well. I didn't know I was pushing berries. <laughs> All I knew was I like to run right. and I still yeah. enjoy running. And I think over this whole pandemic, what helped me was two things, two R's, rosary, say my rosary and running. So that's kept me calm and peaceful. And I don't let other stuff bother me because yeah. for a long time it was lonely because it's me and the guys running, but I didn't let, I just ran, ran because I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. And I made sure, and I always preached this, that I always had something else I was doing in my life. It wasn't right. just, I got to get my mileage and I got to, I always made sure I did some other things and have a well life because otherwise, and ladies and gentlemen, these are two phrases I have coined. If you run too much, you can become a social imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you're thinking about is your mileage and your race and you get your girlfriend, your husband, your job. And, you know, so please make friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's something you need to do. Can I piggyback yeah. a question? Okay. So, yeah. We're yeah. talking about her breaking barriers of like the sub three, but what was going through your head for like the first marathon? Like, you know, what were you wanting to finish? <laughs> <laughs> and I just ran, because again, because I ran with the Bowman Roadrunners for so long and the guys, I was in pretty good shape for that, even though it was one of my, it was my first. I had done 20 miles. I had done the work. And I always did a lot of hills because our area in Baltimore was hilly. Oh, right. So I made yeah. sure I would do a course this way. All I did was run hard up the hills and run hard up the hills and do individual hills, that type of thing. So that really helped me. So it was pretty easy in that regard. Mm -hmm. So Megan, actually, that brings up a question for you. <laughs> so so for, um, first of all, kind of tell us um, how you've been able to motivate yourself what, what goes through your mind? How do you keep pushing yourself yeah. to the next achievement? Well, like the marathon has become like my baby now where I'm figuring it out. I'm learning how to parent it, I guess. And I haven't quite done the best job of figuring out all the little niggles and, and little ways it operates, but I'm working on it. But um, I think what's kept me going is just like transitioning and like developing as a runner from like a mid-distance athlete all the way up to the marathon. So in high school, the 800 was my baby and I was more of a speed D in that way like I barely ever did like the 3k like you know if I was tripling at a dual meet or something it was like the 4.8 and the 1500 it was like rarely the 3k um, sometimes at like um, you know conferences or counties like I might do it but the state meet 800 like like uh, national championships 800 you know um, and I got recruited for college for mid-distance so they saw me as an 800 runner but they're like you're going to be a miler and like that's kind of where we were um, and I went to Syracuse which was like a distance powerhouse so um, it wasn't really ever like ooh, she looks like she might be a better 5k runner it was like well we already have like eight athletes that are in the distance we don't need another one Megan can probably score um, a point or two in the you know uh, the 1500 so that's kind of where that was and then 
um, post collegiately, I just kept running because like us runners, we just love it. And, um, we just keep doing it cause it's our passion and our joy. So, um, I didn't go pro after, uh, college. I was just like, okay, in college, you know, I would have liked to have like a standout career, but it was just like, okay. Um, and I kept in touch with my a college coach and, uh, suddenly I could run like the road racing series, like the summer series upstate New York, which has like a race, like every other weekend, if you want. Um, and I could win prize money. So I basically was like, yes, I could like win the money and pay my rent for the summer, like, um, and through grad school. And that's kind of how it was. I'd be like, Hey, coach Fox, I have a race in like, you know, two weeks, like it's a 5k, give me a workout. And, you know, he kept me fresh that way. And then, you know, slowly, but surely like we saw that I was, you know, showing more consistency and higher performance in the distances and just developing that way. Um, and I think the idea behind why I went longer is because back then there wasn't as many, um, shorter, like road miles, like th that's new. I think that's still pretty new, like in the past, like 10 years of like road miles and making a big thing out of them. So, uh, when it was like, I could keep running, um, it was like, what should we focus on the mile or the 5k? And so I was like, well, the 5k. And then that slowly pushed over to, Oh, I think you could qualify for the Olympic trials in the in the marathon, like through the half marathon, and that's kind of where it started. Um, Which yeah. I will point out is very very hard. <laughs> the qualifying times to qualifying with a half marathon are exceptionally yeah. difficult. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is it is a big jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I'll piggyback off of something that Marilyn said is keeping balance in life and having other things going on. And I know that that's something that you do. And you've even talked about it recently because mm -hmm. you are an occupational therapist yeah. and you have a full time job. Can you talk a little bit about like balancing being a professional athlete and also having a whole life outside yeah. of that? Um, I mean, I think for me, it, 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 it's a it's a better blend for me for my um, happiness level, I guess. Um, I have had it that I was all in on running at one point because of the, you know, the 2020 trials. And like I, I was able to travel a little bit more. I went to Kenya. I did like altitude training out in Albuquerque. Like so like to have a job that like I can't bring remotely with me, it's hard to have that. But um I did have like a per diem job that I could have pop in when they needed help, but now I'm working a lot more and, um, I don't know. I just like, uh, kind of being home and just like having a routine. So, uh, I haven't traveled as much anymore, but I feel like I've, I've lived that moment of my life and I'm happy I've had it, but I don't, I don't need it. Like I've learned enough, I think from those stints. Um, but yeah, it's just getting in the time. Like I feel like when people are like, Oh, I don't have the time. I work full time. It's like, you could wake up early if you want to, or you can like run late if you want to. Um, there is more like if, if, if work's an eight hour day, a nine hour day, whatever it is, there's plenty of other hours if, if you want it bad enough. And us crazy, you know, pros or like high level athletes are, no, actually I'm lying. The, the, the everyday runner, just anybody, um, will make it, make, we'll get up at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning and do it. Um, and those are some people that have like three kids and they're, they have to wake up early run so they can get their kid off to school. So then they could go to work. Like people make it work. So, um, I think if I like having respect for the everyday runner, lets me be like, I, what is my excuse? You know, like I don't have three kids at home and whatever. So I could get up and get it in. Um, and I just might have more training to do than the everyday runner, but like, so it's get up early in the morning, get my run in, you know, do my stretching or whatever. Sometimes I might not have all the flexibility in the world 
but go to work and then get back get out of work and might have to do my second run and what whatnot. So the day kind of gets stretched out pretty far, but um, it just gives me just another outlet. I think um, sometimes when running is just running and that's all you have, like running is not always on a, you know, an incline. So you could be like the incline could be an uphill battle, you know, so it's not always um, all good. It could be bad or you're in a hole or in a rut. And if that's all you have, it's hard. Um, so I think if you have something else that you feel proud about, um, like if I'm working with my patients or uh, I just have a really good outcome one day and I'm like, wow, this person performed this. And like, that's amazing. We've been working on it for like two weeks and it finally happened. And like that could just make my week. So I think for me, I need, I need a whole balancing act to make me feel like the most, you know, like me. <laughs> that's something that you and Marilyn seem to have in common saying that you've got to have that balance in other things. So your whole life isn't running. Marilyn talked about her training partners and who she trained with now take that the fast forward the several decades what are your training partners look like and who do you yeah. train with and you know what does that look like for you Marilyn mentioned the men and that's because maybe like there were only really men to choose from you know um she didn't have the option but I feel like most high level women flock to the men anyways because you know maybe we're we're the only ones that like could run our pace or they make it easier for us you know like I don't always have that luxury but um, you know, like they could pace me for a workout and whereas like some of the other women, like there's one or two on the team that like we can be consistently training together, but there's not as many. And like, so we can get even get into like a marathon, like Chicago, like we all start together, like in Boston, we separate, but, um, you know, like if I find myself alone, like I can look around and be like, Oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a couple of guys right here. Let me just cling on. So, and also like, like Marilyn mentioned with the girls and there's, you know, too much, whatever. Like, yeah, men are straightforward. You want to go running, go ahead. Like, so uh, we're going this way. Meet there at nine. There's not, not a lot of thinking. And that's just, <laughs> there, there is, that's kind of my style. And I, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I think um, I kind of learned that in high school. I trained with the guys and then college I had women, but post-collegiately the group I was with was all guys. It was me and the guys. And I don't know, it's just, it's just fun. Um, kind of like, I think I get a thrill out of it. I think it's more of, I'm the girl, Ooh, can I keep up? I'm going to keep up and it's going to piss them off, you know? And, um, so it's like, yeah, but, um, and with my group, I do have some training partners and it's a nice blend. Love that. Um, I have a question, uh, Marilyn had referenced earlier about the importance of not running when you're injured. And Megan, you have just a really, if this sounds right, inspiring injury history. And I, I really mean that. So could you take a moment to share specifically what happened um, in 2020 and then what happened in 2021? It's a great story. Okay. Um, so yeah, 2020 was everything, right? Like I came in seventh in 2016 and I kind of was like, this is it, you know, and that's where I was able to pull away from working as much and really dump my soul into 2020. Um, even if I didn't have like everyone betting on me, like Marilyn had that thing too. It's like, it's not about them. It's me, you know, like bet on yourself. But, um, so that's what I was doing. Um, and I really tried a lot. Like, yeah, I went to Kenya earlier in 2019 just to like have that experience. And maybe it's going to like push me to the next level, see what other people like the Kenyans train. I mean, they always are performing at such high levels. And, you know, my coach at the time was Kenyan. So he, he had talked about it for a while. I was training in DC. Um, so we went there there and I was just trying all the things to see, you know, what's going to make me make that team. But 
push comes to shove, 2020 trials get on the line. I had a little bit of a twinge in my hamstring like 10 days out. Um, and I was battling a problem with like the right hamstring all fall. <laughs> that was calm. Left one twinge 10 days out. I'm like, okay. And then, yeah, sure enough, before 10K, uh, that hamstring popped and, and that was it. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I trained so hard for the past, you know, like four years to make this team and I didn't even make it to 10K. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, um, I mean, I, like, I'm so fortunate that I had, like, it was, I was in Atlanta, it was my home city at the time and I had, um, a couple of teammates still on the line, still racing. So um, we ended up having our top guy. He was he was only, he was in third for a while, and uh, he ended up finishing tenth. So, so after I got medical transport and whatever, and I at least had got to media tent to watch that, and I think that kind of allowed me to like not be in a hole. But um, yeah, like that just kind of kept me afloat for the day. But um, yeah, like injuries are really tough. And that's kind of the whole goes back to my balancing act of something else because you can go to work and maybe you have a better day that way. But uh, Marilyn said like, you know, if something's bothering you, don't don't run, you know. And I mean, basically that is <laughs> very simple and it's true. Like um, whenever you have a, something flaring up, like you're better off taking three days off than six weeks off because you pushed through. And like, that's kind of like the mentality and the approach that I have, like even this buildup, like no, I, I think you, you can have the perfect buildup, but not always like, and that's rare. Like there's something that's going to flare up. And when something's bothering me, I'm like, I could cross train. Like there's other methods to get to the start line healthy and, or to get your, just your general training in. Um, so yeah, 2020 was tough. Um, and I, I kind of came back and then, yeah, in 2021, here we go. Um, so I've been, I have chronic Achilles problem, all of that. So it was like March of last year that, um, you know, just the winter and whatever, I was up here for a little bit and, um, I just was over it. You know, I was like, I've, <laughs> I've had like the worst year and everything has, is just working against me right now. And so, yeah, kind of in March, I was like, I'm, I'm just done. You know, like uh, you could fight it for as long as you want. And this goes back to taking the time off that you need. <laughs> but um, and I kind of I stepped away. I don't want to say quit the sport. I don't want to be a quitter, but I, I stepped away for like um, the rest of March, like it was late March, all of April, basically, and into May. And I would run like. Uh, you know, three miles or something, like ride the Peloton, you know, like uh, get my little class in or whatever. Like, so I'd say general fitness, but like my family, my boyfriend, whoever, like I'd come back from uh, a three mile run. They're like, you're, you're back. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how long did you go? I'm like three miles. And like, this is someone who is my basic everyday run is like eight to 12, like somewhere there. And maybe I do a second run, but like, so I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like it was good. And they're like, okay, like they're so disappointed in me. So, um, and then, uh, I think I caught the bug, like some kind sometime in May, like, what am I doing? Like, I still love this, you know, like I'm not done. And I haven't, I haven't hit that marathon goal, you know, like my little child. Um, and th that's what motivates me, like you were saying. So, um, there's always something that you're chasing. And for me, it was like, I have, I have a great half marathon PR. My marathon is just not quite what I want it to be. And that's what's, that's what's getting me going. <laughs> but yeah. That's great. And so let's transition that into talking about the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Where we yeah. are here. We started with Marilyn and wanted to ask you what you remember about that race, your first Boston Marathon, and what you remember about the experience, um, what it was like. Walk us through it. A couple of things. My parents came with me and my sister 
And my sister was in Catholic school, so they had to write a note to the nuns, and the good nuns said no. <laughs> but I, think, I believe my sister was there any old way, and I liked the good nuns, but I had nothing to do with it. It was my mother and that. But my parents came, and my sister came, and the Baltimore Roadrunners that first year, and I don't know if it was the first year the Baltimore Roadrunners came up, but they chartered a plane. So everybody on the plane was coming to run the Boston Marathon, and maybe they had their families with them. That was so cool. And, you know, I like that flight because it was oh, it's less than an hour, and I hate to fly, so that's my kind of flight. <laughs> After that, I was taking the night train, and that's no joy. So that's that was wonderful. And then when we got here, I remember I'm running, and that's when we had Prudential Building where we finished, and you look and you see in this tall building, you turn the corner, still far away, this tall building. And all of a sudden, I started to cry. And I'm not a crier. I'm a Baltimore City teacher, 31 years. I don't play. <laughs> and I started to cry. And I said, dummy, why are you crying? I talked to myself and says, because I'm going to finish Boston. Then I said, but you can't finish if you're crying because you can't breathe. <laughs> so I'm talking to myself. And so I stopped crying. And I'm not a crier. And so I could finish the race. And that was so wonderful, the whole experience. Was, and I think we went out and I had lobster for the first time. <laughs> so that was kind of nice because in Baltimore City, uh, Maryland, the seafood, we had the crab state. And you know, always get your hard shell crabs when you come to Baltimore and Maryland. So it was really a wonderful experience because you're with people you know, and everybody's talking about the race on the way up or back maybe. And what got me was, where's Seder Hill? No, sorry, it was Heartbreak Hill. Where's Heartbreak Hill? <laughs> it's not that, where's, and then, and then I said, the man said, this is it. I said, this is it. <laughs> I ran up the hill like, what in the world? I've got hills I run every day. What is it? You know, it's like, oh, come on now, you know. So, But I really enjoyed that first experience. Uh, and again, to compliment the state of Massachusetts in this area, you were a hotbed of distance running way back. When I went to graduate school, I graduated in 71, I came up here in 71 and 72 for graduate work. They had road races then. Now for women, they did have a women's award, one. Now if you didn't win, that was too bad, but <laughs> that was it. But they had road racing then. I'm not even talking about Boston Marathon. They had, so I say a hotbed history years and years ago before a lot of the areas. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's amazing that even back then, like you got teary, like it meant so much even back then, because, you know, we hear about it wasn't, marathoning wasn't as popular, there weren't quite as many people, you could, anybody could get in, um, and still it brought up that emotion for you right, being I, here I, in Boston. I've not cried since, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have, but I don't know when. <laughs> And what do you remember about the women's field that year? Were there, do you remember many women, no women? There were women, but I didn't think much about it. You know, yeah. it was the first time, and I remember, I don't know if that was the one I was so cold, I was standing behind the bus with the exhaust coming out, <laughs> getting warm. You know, because I don't know how it's now, but then it was a little bit different. You know, you, and what I remember, though, going out on, to the, on the bus to go to the start, you meet people, I love meeting people from all over the world, you learn, you shouldn't hate anybody because everybody's culture, they had to go through stuff to stay afloat. And I had one gentleman said where he was from, there were no hills. So what did he do to get his hill work in? He would go to the bridge and he would say hello to the guy, you know who you paid to go across. And he just went up and down the bridge to get hill work in. And you'd be surprised what people do 
to run a marathon or, you know, to get in shape or run faster. So that was so interesting. And I love meeting people from all over. And so that's fun, too, because people come from all over. Yeah. Speaking of, of training, did you learn anything in that first marathon, that first Boston that made you train differently for the subsequent Bostons when you came back? Did you do anything differently or did you just now know the course and that felt confident you know, with you, it? You, you upped your mileage and you might ran more races or did more speed work or even long distance type of speed work because you saw the course. But again, with Baltimore, the, well, the Maryland Marathon that time was so hilly. It was this was not that was harder at home. Yeah. It's just the fact that you have more people out there, which is a good thing. Right. But back then, I'll give you some history. We don't have what we have today. I mean, you got shoes for women runners. You you got things other than cotton t-shirts. And that's all that's all we had back then. And they're no fun once you get wet. So now you got the wicking t-shirt. People said, what? Well, the shirts you have now are not cotton. And they really are better. You know, so and then then, then you have you know, the watches now. Then I used to have to drive my car to find my horse, how, how long I ran. So everything's much better. What about fueling? What did you do for fueling on the course? Did they, they didn't have goo or gels. No. <laughs> they so just had water, so water. you made sure you had your water stops. That was very important to make sure you drank Did you water. eat anything along the course? No, no, we just drank our water. Yeah. That's no. all we had. Wow. I can't remember getting wow. back then, folks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, Megan, tell us what made you decide to run Boston. You've had some incredible already marathon performances, yeah. specifically in Chicago. What made you decide to come to Boston? Because it's Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how have you prepared for Boston? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, it's like the most prestigious marathon and you know, there's just history here. So, like, obviously it's been on my bucket list for a while. Um, but preparing for, yeah, like I just, I, I know there's, it's hillier. Um, so training both uphill and the downhill. Um, so that's what everyone says. It's like, you know, you got to be a little bit more conservative early just because the downhills are misleading at times. So, you know, if anyone's racing here, you know, just kind of keep that in mind. But yeah, getting the hills in and, you know, sometimes sometimes you get stale on your own, your own training. So like if you have a marathon buildup that's been successful, you still need to kind of change it a little bit. Um, so I think we've done a little bit, some some stuff differently with my coaches um, just to better prepare me. We, we bumped up some tempos and even like if, if stuff was bothering me like just throw in some more cross training or cross training workouts um you could still get fit with that and in 2016 i i was in the pool for a while so um in i did fine so you know that that stuff gives you um the confidence going into like any race that you could you know you can manage your way will your way or train your way um in the pool or cross training stuff like that but yeah just hills Hills and the strength work, you know, just get it going. And that's even in the weight room, too. I have two questions um, for you, Megan. My first is um, if you want to, if you can share a little bit about your nutrition and fueling plan. And my second question is, did you have any uh, PTSD in this training cycle, given that this has been a full training cycle after you ran Chicago in the fall about getting re-injured? Oh, I think I think we're all riding that that fine line, mm -hmm. that red line of uh, overdoing it, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and that's just you know either it's your luck or you know just the game you're playing. So, of course, I was playing that, mm -hmm. um, and you know I think I, I came back relatively early-ish. Like I took my typical downtime off. I ran club cross in the in the in December, not the fall, but um, and that was like a lot of fun. And Marilyn pointed out like you can't just do marathon training like. Um, so that was, a, you know, a 6K, you know, so sometimes you got to mix it up. But of course, I was being um, cautious um, and I do have little flare ups here and there. So 
just knowing like I have I have resources like the Alter G treadmill or, you know, like the pool um, or any kind of cross trainer um, to do something if I need to. So we kind of maybe, okay, instead of having this double run, we'll just put a cross training or a day off every other week or something like that. As far as nutrition goes, you know, uh, for the race, like, you know, the elites get uh, the bottles every 5K. So, um, you know, just always have the same fluids that I always do. Um, and yeah, I've, I you do whatever you need. Like I have fluid on there and a gel. So, you know, I, I, I like to get the hydration in. Um, so most of the calories come from that. But if I if I need it, I'll take a goo as well um, and, or a gel. Oh, it's not goo. So um, but uh, yeah. And then like leading up to it, like this this past few days, it's it's whatever like easy on the stomach, you know, like, um, so I'm just trying to have the lighter and mo- tomorrow's going to be really boring, like white, simple carbs, you know, like, um, nothing that's going to give me gastro problems. Um, and that's kind of the focus, like, you know, you want to make sure there's no need for a bathroom break. Um, so I don't knock on wood. I have not had to, um, in any of my marathons. <laughs> yeah. So we'll do it. Yeah, we go. <laughs> and I think it might be interesting for people to know as an elite runner, you have separate feeding areas. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Like you have, you can have specific things put out for you. Yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the kind of different experience oh. that elites have these, yes. these years? And maybe even if Marilyn could follow up with that and kind of talk about how it was when you were running as an elite runner. So I'm curious to kind yeah. of hear how it's changed. Okay. Well, yeah. have, have any of you been spectators and seen the tables? Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's tables every 5K. Um, and depending on the field, like the elites get like a different table position and position number. So I could be like, I don't know mine yet. <laughs> so I could be like table three, position four. So that's where I know like every, every time, like I'm counting tables and I know my position, but you could be racing someone that's table three, position three, and you're kind of fighting for the table. So, I mean, they try to space you out by based off seat time. So there, there isn't a lot of that. Um, I haven't really had that, but I've missed a bottle before, you know, I've missed my first marathon, I missed the first two bottles just cause yeah. So it, there's a lot, you know, like you're like, Oh, it's time. But it, it does end up helping you sometimes later stages of race. Cause you have something to look forward to, but um, yeah. So you get those bottles, you, you get to decorate them and put whatever fluids you want in them and you can tape whatever else you need. So like for me, it's the fluid and then I could tape like a gel. And if I need something like maybe I, I want like a cloth to wipe my face. I don't, I don't do that, but like, you know, you could put, put whatever you need on the bottle as long as it's like legal. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what we do. Um, and it, yeah, like it, it's something, it's a slight distraction, um, for like anticipating something, but yeah, sometimes it does break your stride a little like, Oh, I'm here. I gotta, I gotta kind of like veer off this way. You usually know if it's middle of the, it's, it, it could be to your le- runner left or runner right, you know, like, you know, if it's in the middle of the road or the side of the road, but you, sometimes you don't know. And, you give get all this information before the race. And you're like, okay, you know, like there's a lot, but I, it's gonna be somewhere. Like, um, but yeah, like then sometimes some some runners have um, a hoop on there. So they use pipe cleaners to make like a little hoop to grab it this way. Yeah, and other people grab it with one hand, do the two hands, whatever you're comfortable with. I usually do the two hand, which is it's it, you turn your body and you might lose a second, but I'd, I'd rather get the bottle. Um, I've had one or two times where I just grab it and pops off my hand and that there goes the bottle and you have that second to be like do I stop and grab it but I usually keep going <laughs> well and I think it's worth pointing out too that you're running so fast and you don't want to slow down <laughs> yeah. at all that these things really do have to happen just 
really quick mm-hmm. and you get that one shot like and it, and you're down to thinking about things like do I turn my body yeah. to break my stride just a little bit just to make sure I get yeah. it I mean these are things a lot of the rest of us don't really yeah. think that much about exactly. you know because if you're so. moving like at like you know five five mid five pace you know like to turn this way and, and keep going you're like am I gonna pull something am I gonna bother something or like just whatever lose the pack and you know, then there's like a, a lot of athletes like surge to the table and then there's a surge away from this. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot to think about, but it's very chaotic, but it's kind of fun at the same time. Yeah. And we see that sometimes on the footage where you just see kind of the, the chaos that happens yeah. at those feed tables and people knocking bottles mm-hmm. over. And yeah, so it seems. Yeah. Know, and the, so everyone could be bunched together. Men, you'll see it with men more. So they, they tend to race bunched up longer than the women. Um, but if they're bunched up, like the tables, like let's say there's eight tables, you'll see them together. One person pops out, one person pops out. It's kind of like interesting to see. And then they kind of, you know, clump back together. Yeah. And then, but you know, I have seen friends or whatever that like the, the they knock over their bottles and they're like, well, there there was two bottles, and you, yeah. you know, you just have to deal with it, or you kind of learn like this guy always knocks on my, I'm going to take two steps back from him, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's just a game. But <laughs> yeah, how about you, Marilyn? How how were things back when you were running? As far as hydration, or just like having a, you know special treatment as an elite runner, was it just everybody ran together the, back then? Yes, yeah, it wasn't okay. really too much um, th- that type of thing at that time. Right, right. You know, you just lined up and run. I, I I was invited to some races. I actually went overseas a couple of times, and then you you didn't. I did not know what to do because I never had that training uh-huh. what to do at a somewhat elite athlete. So those were two of my worst races were the two times I ran abroad when I would really wanted to run well. You know, so it'd be nice if I had somebody at that point that knew something I had the experience to assist, but it was nobody around. Right, right. Marilyn, what advice would you give Megan for running the Boston <laughs> Marathon? I know it's been you know a few years, but what what advice would you give to somebody running for the first time? Run smart, stay on your pace, and hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. <laughs> Great advice. That is timeless advice. I also heard from earlier that like cardiac hill, what? Heartbreak hill. Heartbreak hill. What is that? Like yeah. so, I don't have to worry about that. I guess. Yeah, I <laughs> don't it's going to be a that. sweet surprise when I'm running it. Like I thought, Marilyn said this was easy. Like, <laughs> You might be getting an email after the race. We weren't running as fast as these ladies and gentlemen running now. Marilyn, I have a question for you. At what point in your running career did you realize that you were a trailblazer? (laughs) Pointing to the back of the room. Tony Reed called and told me so. (laughs) Tell us the story. I got inducted into the, the Black Marathoners Hall of Fame, and I still did not know that I was the first African-American woman to break three hours. And then I was invited down to Florida, and the young lady, the lady was having me come down to be part of her store opening. And then she told me, and I says, that can't be true. I don't know. Suppose it's not true. Then somebody's going to come after and lay me out saying I was first and they were first. <laughs> And, but um, Tony has a gentleman that works with him, a historian is excellent. He really is on point and knows his, he knows what he's doing. So that makes me feel good. But I did not know for the longest time, but I had a great time when I was in Florida and opened up the store, didn't know that I was the first. You know, I didn't know that. 
I just like to run and I ran and, and thank you for all these blessings and now I get to go all over the place. I like to travel, so this is cool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk a little bit about just the fact that it has been 50 years that women have been running this marathon. And one thing that struck me as being one of the people who lives here is that walking around Boston for the last couple of weeks, there have been all these banners up that are only women and there's nothing about like 50 years of women. It's just every single banner is a woman runner. And I just wonder, even if you have or haven't seen these banners, just the thought of like, you know, reflecting on the fact that women can just run marathons these days and, you know, kind of what that history means to you guys, like when you see all these great banners of these great women. And I'll start with you, Marilyn. Let's I graduated from Morgan State and was Morgan State, now Morgan State University at the time, historically black college. And when I was there, there was no girls track team. I went to all girls high school and there was no girls track team. They had volleyball and badminton. I was not good at anything where you had to grab a ball. Or, all I could do was just run straight. So it was nothing for me in high school. I did try for the volleyball and got to collect some splinters in my <laughs> I went to college and I could not catch a thing. Basketball, volleyball. Well, I popped my shoulder out in college. I dislocated. Remember Tars and Movies? Well, I was doing that and it, dis it dislocated upward at that time. And it came out 40 some times after that. So I, I, did, I stopped swimming because of that. Um, but the bottom line, there was not much around to make you become a runner. Right. They had yeah. boys track team, some of the guys, they had trophies of the Olympics and everything or whatever they got at the Olympics from Morgan being in track, but it was no track team for the girls. I mean, I love field hockey because you got to run. Right. I still love field. I even played club some years after that. So I was playing club, but I was still running 20 miles in the morning. You know, yeah, I was really crazy back then. And, and I don't drink or drug or anything. I never did, but I was still crazy. So, but it was nothing for a lot of women for a long time. Yeah. And then he started having where girls got, when, when I started Morgan, Title IX was not in effect. We were right. still doing a roving guard. We're going back in time, folks. What do I mean? That in basketball, one girl got to go up and down the whole court or two, but not everybody went up and down the whole because that was too much for you. Nice. We're going back in time, but with Title IX, then he started. I would have loved to have been on the track team in college. Right. I would have loved to have been on the track team in high school. You know, I would love to, you know, for these, I'm glad the girls are getting scholarships and can go to different, because it wasn't then. And in all the sports, now we're in everything. Now we got the boxers in the Olympics, yeah. we got taekwondo. Um, and this is wonderful. Yeah. And you know what? Now, I don't want to insult anyone, but it's so nice that females can run, we can jump, we can box, we can ski, we can do a gymnastics, and still realize that we are all female. Amen. Now, Amen. no, I've got to see <laughs> what happens. Sometimes you think, well, you can't, you must be something else because you are athletic. And that's not the case. I like a good looking black man anytime. <laughs> <laughs> you white guys are cute too. <laughs> but back then it was nothing. It was that, and that's what hurt. The only thing that hurt me in my whole career, because I got invited to Germany first time, an international race for women in marathon, unofficially even, but we had it. And I only ran 316 or something because nobody told me what to eat over there. Nobody told me how to train. Nobody yeah. told me what to do when you travel. I knew nothing. And at the end of my career, which knocked me out, I, I developed exercise-induced asthma. So when I went to Japan, I even had to drop out the race. Again, I did not know what you eat when you go away. I didn't know anything. I had no coach ever. I had friends, but I never had 
how can I put this? I never had somebody who was trained as a coach of distance runners, right. male or female, to help me. But to the very end, at that time, I, you know, I'm done. So it's I'm so I'm so happy that girls can do volleyball and basketball and gymnastics, whatever they do. I was field education teacher for 31 years, so I'm so happy to see that girls can do so many things now. It's wonderful yeah. to see this. Yeah. But be ladies. You don't have to be weird looking. Be ladies. You know. <laughs> You can still be an athletic and be a lady. I'm not. Too, I'm just going to say it because sometimes we're taking it too far. That, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Megan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, you grew up during you know during a time that women could run all yeah. of these things, and just like when you think back on the fact that you know in my lifetime and Marilyn's lifetime, uh, you know, women couldn't run marathons, and I don't know what do you what. Do, no, what, I'm what I'm so grateful. I feel honored to be sitting next to Marilyn and like knowing like Catherine Switzer and like just people out there that like, like paved the way for us, you know, like I wouldn't be having all these opportunities if it wasn't for people like you. So I thank you so much. Um, but yeah, like I just, it's like incredible to think about like kind of the battle that they had to like fight to get us to where we are today. So, you know, it's like, like I kind of like, well, I'm not doing enough. Like, what can I do to pave the way? You know, like, what can I do? Like, what can I do for the future generation? And we've come so far that it's like, hmm, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, like I have so much respect for those women and to think about what they did without the resources we have today. Right. So, you know, like thinking about like, you know, her time or, you know, like what if she had the super shoes? What if she had all the, the fluids mm -hmm. and all this and that? Like Dina Castor's American, old previous American record is incredible to think about. That's without super shoes. That's without, you know, X, Y, and Z. So um, not to take away from Kira D'Amato, which is an amazing performance, but, you know, that's coming after all these women did stuff without that, you know? And yeah, so I'm just always amazed by what's happened before my time. I would like to say one thing. Sure. Remember Joan Benoit, the first one, the Olympic yeah. trials, yeah. and her bra strap, bra strap kept dropping down because they still hadn't gotten the women's <laughs> the sports bras yet. <laughs> and I said, that poor girl, you know, because we didn't have what we needed. Nobody thought it was necessary to give ladies some kind of proper bra to wear when you're running. I know we're not the biggest ones in the world, but still, we could use something, some kind of straps. So, I mean, ladies, you don't know how far we've come. That's why we're asking you. Yeah. We, we come a long way because all we had was men's shorts, yeah. men's tops, you know, everything. We just wore a smaller size, men's <laughs> shoes, because Nothing was out for women at the time. Yeah. And now you can go in the store and spend your whole paycheck. You know, <laughs> like you can. <laughs> and that's not even enough, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, Megan, you had brought up, you know, what we can do for future generations. And this is a question for both of you is that, you know, anniversaries like this are a really great time to look at how far we've come, where we are today. But there's still more work to be done. And we all know that. Um, so I want to ask both of you, like, what do you think, you know, you come from a high school background. I'd be curious to think like, or to ask what you think could be done better, what you'd like to see more of for our younger generations. And then also Marilyn, I'm going to ask you the same question. So, but I'll let Megan start. Um, I think it's, I mean, today's world is social media, right? So uh, I think just kind of presenting the females um, in a bigger light, you know, because I think stuff is still flocked to the men because you know, if it's running, it's like their times are superior than, than ours, I guess. Like, um, but yeah, to high school level is to like, 
have both presented equally. I think they do a good job, but, you know, maybe highlight the women a little bit, you know, more, more so or or evenly, but at least be equal. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I don't know, make make more um, talks or, you know, opportunities for the girls to get um, involved in in promoting athletics or tell their stories, you know, and or even if if it is about girls in sport and what the you know, they're you know, a female anatomy and stuff like that, like having that be an open discussion that's fair, you know, to that they're in a a safe space that like they feel okay to talk about it within, you know, their circle at least. But yeah, to highlight women and girls in sport and, you know, give them the opportunities that, you know, they deserve equally. I'm going to come from left field. I was a physical education teacher for 31 years. At this point, I've coached more, longer than I taught. I'm still coaching. Yeah. I'm only... 22, but I'm still coaching. (laughs) The bottom, I I have to say this. When you see the NCAA's women's basketball, the NCAA's volleyball or track, and everybody wants their child to go to college and have this scholarship because when they win, everybody's smiling, laughing. But those athletic scholarships are no joke. They don't go there and just do their sport and don't go to school. Maybe sometime in certain sports that might be, but it's hard. It's not easy, and a lot of these parents want their kids to go get these scholarships so they don't have to pay or pay partial, and they're going to do this great job at athletics. But I've had a couple of kids I was blessed that were Division I champions in cross-country or track, and it's no joke. They've got to keep their grades up, folks. They don't stay at that college if their grades aren't up. So they might be coming back from a track meet or whatever, and they still had to go to school the next day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had one girl came back and told me she did nine miles that you know, that night after the race. She did nine miles or nine, no, nine miles the next day. But they still have to get back on that plane or bus, get back to that college, and they have to keep their grades up. Yeah. Because too many of us think, oh, my child is going to be the Olympic champ. My child is going to be this football player. My child is going to be this bad. And it's not happening. It happens to very minute few, yeah. very minute. So if they can get a scholarship for volleyball or track, wonderful. But be smart. Keep your grades up and get that degree. If you had to stay another year, get the degree. Because that's most of us, that's how you're going to make it. You're not going to make it through the athletics. It looks great on TV, folks. They're only showing the winners. They don't show when you get hurt. And that's it. Um, they had a great thing because I've, I've seen a lot doing this COVID. I saw a lot of documentaries. And when these kids get hurt in football or whatever, they don't have insurance. That's it. They're done. Yeah. They don't tell you the other side of the story. There's the rest of the story. So try your best to encourage your children, your grandkids, your niece, nephew, to get that degree in something marketable. I, I did not know that there are people out here, some of my running buddies, their sisters or brothers, have degrees and things that are not marketable and they're still paying off the goddamn school loan for God knows how far back because they got something that was not marketable. Yeah. When I went to college at Morgan, how much I paid for every semester? $100 a semester. <laughs> as long as I promised to teach for two years, not taught for 31. So I, they yeah. got their money's worth. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying, folks, and this might be off the track, please let the kids go out for sports. Or if it's not sports, if they want to sing, let them sing. 
Let them do something after school. Try to be involved and go to church on Sunday. It won't kill anybody. They won't burn up if they go to church on Sunday. Um, but please, so many kids, all you hear, particularly from our black children, I'm going to be a football player. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't care how fat you are. You, you're slow. You're not going to make it. And all they, most of them are not. And you know when they all, because everybody and their grandmothers coming to talk to them and coming to have come visit our school and yakety yak. And I, I mean, to the point now, it's getting to the point, just because your kid goes to high school and try for that team, certain areas, they already got their team. They'll let you try, but they already got their teams. I mean, these kids are, they pulling them in and pulling them in. So, you know, I mean, at least running, I think, is a little bit more open with that than yeah. maybe football and basketball. So they got to be able to do more than that. And I've, had, I've heard of how people didn't let the kid go to his only black college, which he could have made that team, or some small junior college and make the team. No, they're going to send their kind of some kind of, some kind of a prep school for one more year. And I didn't do darn good in the public school so they could get this scholarship. It's not happening. As a teacher, as a coach, we got to be realistic and don't live through your child. I'm going to have my kid in basketball. We're going to play in the sixth grade league and then we're going to, you know, what time to get to high school. And I was in middle school. That's sixth, seventh, eighth grade, but it used to be junior high, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And I'm going to tell you right now, all these parents and people have these kids start when they're little, and everybody's going to be this great athlete in high school. As soon as they can tell you to drop there, they are. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do it anymore, mama. And now you lost them. Let them do a little bit of this. Let them finish the season. Whatever they start, let them finish it. Then let them do something else. I, Boy Scouts is great. Don't think <laughs> It's a great organization. There are other things to do. Great. Sing it. Let the kids do something, but don't overdo the sports because 99%, 99.9% are not going to get some phenomenal scholarship. And frankly, you probably might not want them to have it when they do get it. That's my sermon for today. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's a great point, and I think that really underscores why we do this in the first place. We do this because we love it. Yeah, yeah. We do this because it's fun. We do this because it brings us a lot of personal fulfillment, but that's a really, yeah. really good point. So I think with that, did you have any other, no, any other no, questions? I, think I just wanted to say with that, with like, yeah, like I know like runner couples and stuff like that, that like, oh, your kid, you know, your other outsiders are like, oh, your kid's probably going to be a runner. And like those people are like, no, you know, if he wants to, then great, you know? So I think you should let your kid kind of decide, you know, what, what they're going to do because it's their life. But yeah. yeah. And they'll find, they'll, they will find just like all of us have found what we, and we all found it at different times in our lives and different yeah. points. And that's, I think that's a really good way to, to wrap up the interview we have a couple minutes for audience, yeah audience I, I know we're running a bit over time but does does anybody have any questions that they would like to ask oh wow okay you, yeah. you, you said that you would look at your hand like you had something on your hand oh i guess i'm so old-fashioned i'm sorry i wrote down the times for each mile or every so many miles so i know i was still on my pace yeah, okay. Yeah. You're right. We have watches, but at that point, you wrote it down so you can remember exactly what you thought. I, don't, I, I have some of us GPS still do watches, that. You know, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. This is really. Oh, we're going back in history now. Marilyn, and do you I, use a GPS watch now? I love my GPS watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 
understood all the funky <laughs> But long as it didn't need a proper distance, yeah. because before that you had to drive it at the FU Rayland C, yeah. it was always short no matter what. <laughs> I love my GPS watch. That's one of the greatest things ever made, let me tell you. Tony, did you have something? Yes, I got a question for Marilyn. Uh, people don't realize that there's only been one time in U.S. history that a sitting U.S. president has ever run in a road race. And that was President Carter in 1979. Uh -huh. And Marilyn, you won that 10K. What was it like getting your award from the President of the United States? And tell us a little bit about his shoes. My, <laughs> my father was very big on yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. It wasn't huh, who, ugh. <laughs> you have to respect my, now I don't, I don't, I like that about my father. He could curse the devil out of me, but he made sure we had respect. So when I went to the race, I was invited, one of those few races I was actually invited when getting money to come, and it was at Camp David. Mm -hmm. And we, I drove up there, and all of a sudden, this big black uh, car, presidential car show up with all the people, the motorcycles, and they said, the president, everybody's running the, the people into the car, and it's says, no, Maryland. You've been paid, actually, I was getting money to come run that race and got money after the race. It was great. So I had a job. I had to warm up and get ready to run the race. So I didn't even deal with it. Well, a black guy won the men's division. I won the women's division. I remember the race because you went uphill a mile, you went flat a mile, you went downhill a mile, you turned around, went uphill a mile, flat <laughs> down. They criticized the president because he didn't do well. He passed out of it. But it was a difficult course. So I said, well, he passed, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a difficult course. They never mentioned that. All of it was down, but it was a difficult course. Well, at the end, since I won, the president gave me my award. My father, you know, always, I didn't know to say, yes, sir, or yes, Mr. President. And I can't remember what I said, but I didn't, I want to do the right thing. And then I looked down, I always tell the kids, I coach, look down at his shoes, and you know, we had Nike and New Balance and Adidas and all these new shoes. You know what's on the back of his shoe? What? The word Carter. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was real cool. And then they sent me uh, pictures. Yeah. of getting my award from the president, even from the White House, and some other people didn't know sent me the pictures. So that was really nice, and he was cool. respectful. And I didn't like the fact that they kept criticizing us, said if they had ran the race, it was more difficult, and you didn't run it, so why? You? I know they like to criticize the presidents, but that was like, you know, that was over there. Great story. Anyone was else? there someone else who had a question? Sarah. Sarah. A question for Marilyn. Um, it sounds like you've done a lot of coaching. Have you noticed a difference when you're coaching men um, as opposed to coaching women in the approach that you take? Girls, well, I, well, cross, I love cross country. Most time, most of my guys and girls will listen in cross country and track sometimes. We get a little bit more cocky on the guy's side. And, you know, everybody thinks they're great. And I try to, you know, I try to be real, realistic with them. And normally I don't have a whole lot of problems. I like working with guys. I'm prejudiced. I really like working with the boys. They're kind of fun. Girls sometimes get a little snippy. Right, <laughs> right where I am now, I love the girls and the guys. Um, so it's enjoyable to me. So I don't notice that much different. I mean, if you're going to work, you're going to work. If you're not going to work, you're not. We've got a lot of lazy kids don't want to do a thing. And they find out one thing about running. I tell them it's a black and white sport. What do I mean by that? I mean on paper it's printed. We know how fast you are because it's right there. <laughs> Why didn't my child go to county championships? They had to be in the top five in this event. Oh, they were down here in eighth place. It's written on, there's no prejudice. It's all on the times. 
You know, now if you do your work, but sometimes you get blamed because you didn't work hard enough, but every time I gave you the workout, you couldn't finish it. I'm confused. So it's always another way to blame somebody. I don't see it a lot. I like working with the boys, like with the girls. I love to work with different cultures. I work with Asians. And I, made, I learned from different groups, and you learn to listen and respect them. A young man came to me, Jimmy, and said, Miss Bevins, Coach Bevins, we're not Orientals. That's the food. We're Asian. And I felt so embarrassed and ashamed because I was calling something that I shouldn't. It's Asian. I never forgot that. So now I'm dealing with uh, Hispanics and Latinos, and I'm trying to explain to me what are the differences only because every culture has something to do with this world and has done something great for this world. So I want to respect every, I love to work with different people and learn from them. I really do. So, you know, as far as male and female, sometimes the guys think they're more macho and tough than they really are. The girls will be more realistic unless they get some crazy fall to decide their daughter's the greatest thing in the world. And you can't tell them otherwise. He's going to run them in the ground. When the time they get, like I said, 13, to tell them to drop there, they are. Or sometimes I've done it too, push them too hard, and then they don't want to do it anymore. And the same with, you know, I have the, always have learned lessons that we have to remember so we won't do it again to a child. Because a big thing is their life. Yeah. Now, we don't want them to take drugs, we want them to go to school, but it's their life. So let them do something they want to do. I don't care if they want to go to Boy Scout, Boy Scouts is great. If they want, whatever they want to do, help them to do it and let them finish that season or whatever it is they're doing, be it soccer or whatever. But don't overdo it. Make sure the coaches are teaching the proper. I've seen a lot of kids in middle, middle school, junior high teaching. Needs are all done. Needs are done from soccer. We've not even got to high school yet, but the way they've been taught. So sometimes you got to not overdo it. You don't need to go to nationals when you're five and six years old. <laughs> you know, especially for track. We got a lot of that, right? You got nationals, depending on yeah. AAU or USA. If you want them to be in it when they get older, don't do everything when they're so young. Let them mm -hmm. do different stuff. Ballet, all kinds of stuff. Let them do it. Megan, I would imagine you have a lot of opinions about that, given that you are a pediatric occupational oh, therapist. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, you know, and it's also like a slow development, you know, mm -hmm. like a lot of kids that I work with that have some developmental issues. It's like, I'm not expecting change overnight. So mm -hmm. um, it's it's like, if I write, write goals, it could be six months later. So kind of the same thing with athletics. It's not like, let's pound away, uh, you know, and like hope that they're going to like be this, you know, amazing future star or today. Like, you know, um, so like I appreciate my high school coach that we trained at a, like I was training at a high level, but like we, my mileage was extremely low. Like, you know, I remember like some workouts were like a four, two, two done. That's training for the 800. Like, and I'd hear like other, other athletes, you know, just that were doing a ton of mileage. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like I remember going to college um, and coach, like coach Fox at the time, you know, asked like every fr incoming freshman, like, oh, you know, what was your long run? What did you get up to? And like, everyone's, oh, I did 80 minutes, 80 something. And I'm like, um, I like, I was like, oh yeah, the same. And I, like, I ran, <laughs> I ran 74 minutes one day cause I like got, got lost or screwed up my run like at home. And I was only supposed to do 60 minutes. So like, I was like, oh my God. And that, like, that's where I was at, you know? So I, I kind of respect my high school coach because he did not, you know, pound away at me. And um, he allowed me to have this future that I'm having right now. So, you know, if you, you kill your kid, like, you know, in middle school, high school, like they might not really have the career that you were like imagining this scholarship, you know, life that Marilyn's talking about, you know, so. 
And I mean, as far as my peds job, like, yeah, I can plan out like the, the perfect session for my kid. And like, it doesn't, it completely goes off track because the kid, kid's the guide there, you know? Um, so same thing here, like, you know, like, I'm not going to push the kid to do something because then they won't either, either won't want to work with me, won't come to therapy, you know? So it's the same thing with your own, you know, kids, you know, just, they can be the guide, you could support it. Maybe you can influence a little bit, but like, oh, just a little, like, and that's it. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah, for the next generation mm -hmm. of runners here. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. I want to thank you both so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to get to talk to you about women's running and marathoning and all of your experiences. And thank you all for coming. So I thank you so much. It's a busy time for all of us runners, and I really appreciate everyone making the time. So, and Marilyn, you're starting, right? You're starting the uh, wheelchair the participants, wheelchair oh, right? Excellent. Yes, and excellent. Megan, we hope you have a great race. Thank have you. a tremendous race, <laughs> yeah. You. We're so excited for you. Thanks, thanks for having us. We won't wish you good luck because you don't need luck. <laughs> right. We wish yeah. you the wind at your back and a, and a, and a, a swift, strong race. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank it was you. really nice. Thank you. Thank you.